0: I hope the following program gives you a new perspective on who God is, who you are, and how you too might find forgiveness, healing, and hope in our Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening. Oh, it's one of the many blessings of being a pastor. I just love that. I remember... Not that long ago, I was doing one. It was for, who was it for? It was for Moses Schenck. And he looked at me, just, you know, that Moses look. (laughs) And totally distracted me in the middle of it. I'm choking up trying to say his blessing. The kid's just looking into my soul. (laughs) Today we're going to talk about rejection, the wilderness of rejection. Perhaps there's no other pain in life as powerful, as hurtful, as stinging As the pain of rejection, we all know it, don't we? In some form or another. We've all lived lives and had situations in our lives, relationships in which we participated, that we put ourselves out there in vulnerability. We grew in knowledge of somebody else and they in knowledge of us, only to see something happen, only to see something we've said or done or something they've said or done, some set of circumstances that created a rift and created a situation where we feel rejected. I know this well. When I was in the Navy and I was getting ready to be processed out, I was in a rehab, and I would go every morning to the gym. And I would leave the rehab, and I'd have to walk three blocks down the main street of the base to go to the gym. And as I was walking down, I see in the distance the unit that I had just left running against the grain with me. And so I had that blessed moment of walking down the street while every single person in my unit looked at me with that look. I had already felt the shame of what I had done and the fact that I was getting separated from the military because of my addiction, but now I have everyone's face to remind me of that feeling. And the rejection was just so, it created a wound in my heart, a deep wound. I know many of you can relate to that. I hear about it. You tell me about it. As we get to know each other, as we sit in counseling, as I talk to you, there are many times that we hear that you share that there's been a moment in your life that has created a wound through which every situation, every relationship from that point on is seen through. And it's destructive. It's destructive. When we're in that place, that wilderness, isolated and alone, it feels like there's nothing good about us, that we've been finally pushed away and we are at our end, is where God meets us, is where God is waiting for us. And so today we're going to talk about that, that when we are in the wilderness of rejection, that we can trust that God sees our pain, he hears our prayers, and he knows our future. If we don't know this, if we don't recognize that God is there in the wilderness waiting, that he wants to meet us there, what we end up doing is we turn inward. And we allow the pain of that rejection to influence every decision we make, even if we realize it or not. Part of the Christian life is untangling and sort of peeling back the onions of our, the onion layers of our soul. And as we get closer and deeper to what's really happening, it begins to add meaning to our lives, and we get greater understanding. But if we're not willing to do that, we can get stuck. We can get stuck and turn towards other things. Turn towards ourselves in despair or towards other things which God does not want us to go to. They end up putting us further into the wilderness instead of taking it out. So today, we're going to talk about Hagar, Hagar is the slave servant, the servant of Abram and Sarai, later Abraham and Sarah. So we're going to be in two places because as far as I know, maybe with the exception of David, Hagar is the only one who has multiple wilderness experiences. There are multiple times that she has found herself in the wilderness where she is met by God. So we're in Genesis 16 and Genesis 21. We'll start in 16. If you have your Bible, please open it up. If you don't, it's okay. We have the words up here on the screen. Just follow along. While this message is focused primarily on Hagar, it'll serve us well to have a little bit of background, for those of you who might not know, about who Sarai and Abram are. Again, Sarai and Abram are Sarah and Abraham. There's a moment that God changes their name, So when I use those names interchangeably, know that that is who I'm speaking about. One day, Abram lived in the Ur of the Chaldees, which is somewhere in present day Iran, and he's called by God. He says, I want you to leave everything you have and come to a land that I will show you. He was already old. He was an old guy. So he takes everything he's got, all of his possessions, his father, his wife, his son-in-law, and he goes actually, it's what is that? It's his nephew-in-law, isn't it? His nephew-in-law. His nephew-in-law, and he goes to the land of Canaan. When he gets there, God shows him. He says, even though you have no family, you have no son, no heir yet, and you're already old, I promise one day you will. And that heir will possess this land, and that heir will be the father of multitudes, many nations. And so God gave Abram a promise. A lot of stuff happens in the intervening time. Abram goes to, to Egypt with his wife, ends up picking up a, a slave there named Hagar, and they come back. Now they, right now, are in the land of Canaan. This is where they begin to sort of occupy the land that God had promised them, but still no son. Still no son. All right, so let's look at Genesis 16 Verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant. Let me just tell you right now that word servant, slave. You can say it what you want. It might not look like southern United States, you know, slavery from the 19th century. Slave. Think slave. Had a female slave whose name was Hagar. Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, so go into my servant. We know what that means. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So if you look at this, Sarai has been promised that she will have a child. By an angel of the Lord, the messenger of the Lord came to her and promised her, and she doubted it. She said, no way. But the angel said, yes, you will. So Sarah must seem to think at this point that, she, that this is the way to obtain the promise of God. That somehow if she takes the bull by the horns, if she takes life you know, by the reins, that she will be able to do what God has said would happen instead of waiting for God to answer. And Abram listens. That was a mistake. That was a mistake. Because consider Hagar in this. As we're reading through this, I really want you to, to, to be impressed by the fact that there's a lot of victims in this story but no victim has been more victimized than hagar we read through this story sometimes at least i have in the past and i almost read hagar as just a character an object in a story because abram and sarah are the main characters but indeed hagar has been thoroughly wronged in this story so i want you to listen for that as we read through again and again. So Sarah gets the bright idea, have a baby with my slave. Verse three. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian slave and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. Probably a generous term. And he went into Hagar and she conceived and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Can you blame her? I remember being in the delivery room of my children and getting the question or the statement, you did this to me, right? (laughs) Said to me multiple times from a look of anger and irritation. And I felt it. I did this. Imagine Hagar's position, okay? Imagine what Hagar is saying or what's happening to Hagar. This is a slave, a woman that they picked up in Egypt. Now she's in Canaan. The old lady who owns her tells the old man that you can have a child with my Egyptian slave. And now this woman is pregnant. I imagine that Hagar would look at Sarai and say, you did this to me. You did this to me. Maybe it was Hagar's way of sort of getting back. Maybe there's a resentment being built here by this mistreatment of Hagar. In some ways, you cannot at all Blame her. Verse 5. And Sarah said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do as you please to her. And Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. Again. (laughs) Again. Sarah tells Abram to take Hagar. Then when Hagar gets pregnant, Sarah blames Abram for Hagar's mistreatment of Sarah. So then Sarah repeats, returns the favor with a willing and encouraging husband. When we look at characters, this is an important statement. When we look at characters in the Bible, we tend to give them romanticized views, okay? And I think we miss the idea of a couple of things. One is that God uses very broken people to achieve his, his purposes. Or we try to answer away. We try to try to round out the rough edges of the characters of the Bible so that it portrays somebody who we aspire to be instead of looking at them as people we should aspire to not be. And there are plenty of instances in this passage that show us aspects of character in Abram and Sarai, in a few spaces, Hagar as well, that we need to be careful to avoid. This is one of them. Abram was given the promise of God as well. And so Abram should have said no. God said, God said. And so Sarai turns it around on Abram. She's essentially saying, I'm innocent in this. You did this to me. So you see this drama that's occurring? It's like a Jerry Springer episode, and Hagar's like, you know. Sarai thought short circuiting God's plan would not have negative effects, but it always does. It's always a lie. When God tells us a certain way in his word and we do it another way, we can expect negative consequences. The primary one, of course, is sinning against the Lord. That should always be the one, our holy God. We sin against him when we do things our way. But God has so baked into the creation of this world, into the laws of cause and effect, that when we diverge Move from God's stated purposes in his created order, we can expect negative consequences. So Sarai treats this woman so poorly that she's forced to flee into the wilderness. This word word dealt harshly in the ESV has very serious connotations. It's used in other places to denote things like oppression, outright humiliation, to do physical violence to, to torment, to overpower. There's even an area where this word is used to talk about rape. This is a violent, serious mistreatment of Hagar. So she's in the wilderness. She's fleeing for her life. Look at verse 7. And the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness the spring on the way to shore. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so they cannot be numbered for multitude. Now, think about Hagar's circumstances, the tremendous victimization. She's a slave. She's been given to an old man. She's carrying a child that will seemingly be taken from her the second that that child is born. Because remember, this is not an heir of Abraham. Sarah's talking about a kid for me, a kid for me. She's not a surrogate, she's a mother with a child who's taken. She's just an object in the eyes of Sarah and Abraham, a means to an end. She's been mistreated to such a degree that she's fleeing for her life. And when the Lord appears, sort of, it's kind of comical. He's like, so where are you going? Where are you coming from? What's going on? She tells the angel exactly what happened. In the face of rejection and even this mistreatment, God tells Hagar in this instance, go back. Go back. What a command. There are times in our lives when God is going to ask us things things that are so out of what would seem to be reasonable that they seem it can't be coming from God. Yet God often asks us to do difficult things, things we will not understand in the moment because we cannot. We're finite human beings. Now, this is not a claim to every time someone treats you poorly to go back to where you are. In this instance, though, this is what God asked Hagar to do. And Hagar, <laughs> to, to her credit, she goes. I think she goes because of the promise that the Lord gives her in that. God appears to her in the wilderness You're not alone. I'm with you, but I want you to go back. And I'm not going to send you back for nothing because your child, the child in your womb, will be someone great. You have been mistreated. You have been victimized. But your child, your child will be blessed. The angel uses words here in the Hebrew that that place emphasis. It says it here in the English. It says, surely, surely. I will surely multiply your offspring. But it's, it's, it's an emphatic. It will not not happen. It's going to happen. It's like Jesus when he says, verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you. It is in the bank. And the promise to Hagar, if you go back and look at the promise to Abraham, sounds a lot like the promise to Abraham. That God, in the face of this woman's victimization and rejection by these people, is still with her, And the blessing for her is as grand as the blessing for Abraham. And the blessing for you is like that as well. Verse 11. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and anyone's... Uh, Let me say that again. His hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over and against all his kinsmen. The word Ishmael means he hears, the Lord hears. So we see this, this hearing. Shema, in the Old Testament, the Shema in Deuteronomy 6 is, hear, O Israel, hear. The word affliction here is the same root as the one that is used for Sarah's harsh treatment of Hagar. Sometimes I wish that, sometimes knowing the languages just clutters a message. There are other times I read things and I think, how am I going to explain this? This is so amazing. This is one of those passages. God sees, God hears, God knows affliction. It's all here. It's all here. The angel prophesies to Ishmael, to Hagar, that Ishmael would be tough. He would not be a punk. Think about that promise to a slave woman who's been mistreated, taken from her home again and again. Your kid's not going to be in the situation that you're in now, I promise you. He's going to be tough. He's going to be a fighter. and People are going to seek to fight him. Everything an oppressed woman could hope for in a child. Verse 13. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Bir Lahai Roy It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Hagar realizes that God is watching over her amid her distress, her crisis, her rejection, and he sees, he sees... So it's important to know when in the wilderness of rejection that God sees your hurt. God sees your hurt. This is the only time when the angel refers to Hagar that anyone in any of the stories refers to Hagar in the first person, or in the second person rather, you. Calls Hagar specifically by name. All the other times it's the slave, your slave, the slave, this woman. But God sees, and God knows, and he specifically calls Hagar by her name, looking deep into what's going on. God sees your circumstances. He knows your circumstances intimately. He knows the injustices that have been perpetuated against you. Oftentimes when we face rejection, it's because of the sin of someone else. One of the most difficult things in life for me, I don't know about for you, is being wrongly accused. And then being separated because of it. Being rejected because of a false understanding, a misunderstanding about your true motives, about what it is you were seeking to do or say or mean. But God knows the truth. God knows what your motivation was. God knows your circumstances, and he knows that you have been mistreated in that rejection sometimes. Perhaps most times. I always hedge there because, you know, everyone has a part in every situation. And it's dangerous to say that it's entirely on them. Whatever it is in your life, that's a side thing. That was, that's free. Actually, it's not because I have it written right here. (laughs) He knows the mistakes you've made that have contributed to your rejection. Hagar got jazzy. She could have not said anything. Instead, she conceives and takes it out on Sarai. I'm not negating any of the mistreatment of Hagar, but still, there's always multiple sides to the story. God not only sees your circumstances, he sees your pain. He sees your pain. He knows. I I struggle to find a word to describe. I use the word stinging but it's just not right, is it? It's just not right. There's a word that describes something deeper, something almost existential about being rejected. God is aware of that pain in your heart and that pain and hurt does not go unnoticed. He Sees it can feel the otherwise though can it can it feel like God doesn't see, like God is not seeing? Even Siri thinks so. Especially when our motives and our conduct have been right and righteous. God knows your pain intimately because, first of all, he knows you, but secondly, he experienced it himself. Isaiah 53.3 says, this is Christ. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. When I read that, I think of my walk to the gym despised by a man, rejected by men, a man of sorrows. And in your life, this is the same. God knows the feelings of rejection. Jesus was rejected by religious leaders, his friends. And Jesus is still rejected today. Because Christ has experienced rejection, three principles are in play for us as his followers. The first is Christ's personal knowledge of rejection allows him to relate to us. He knows what it feels like. He literally knows what it feels like to be rejected. Second, as our rejected Lord, Christ sometimes calls us to stand ready to be rejected. You know, when you begin to live for Christ vocally, when you begin to live for Christ in your priorities, you will be rejected. There will be people in your life who do not understand, there will be people who do not want to understand. It's part of what it means to follow a lord our lord the christ who's asked us asked us to walk the hard path it's a good path but it's a hard path if we walk in those footsteps how do we how do we think that we will somehow be exempted from that rejection i have friends who say you know i, I can't stop using I, I keep relapsing because i keep going back to my old friends I just don't know how to tell them no. I say, don't tell them no. Just start living like a Christian. Start, just start living like you're in recovery, and they'll leave themselves. It's natural for what it means to be walking in a way countercultural, walking in a way that's different than everyone. And Jesus third knows exactly what we need to walk through these times to deal with these feelings of rejection. God knows how to minister to our soul. He knows how to minister to our soul. Josiah. Yahweh heals. So let's look at chapter 21. This is the first wilderness experience of Hagar. She's been called out to the wilderness. She's running to the wilderness for her life. She's met by an angel, gives her a promise to go back to the source, go back to her mistress who has mistreated her. So now, in the intervening period here, Sarai and Abram have been renamed Sarah and Abraham. So the names will change, same people. All right. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. Well, look, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. He actually came through like he promised he would. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And when Abraham circumcised his son when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him, Abraham was a hundred years old when Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. I think that statement, who would have said, is a slight against Hagar. I think there's a hint there where Hagar looked upon contempt with a, towards her mistress, I think this is Sarah saying something back. Verse eight, As a child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, again, this impersonal reference, whom she had borne to Abraham laughing. This is interesting because the name Isaac means he laughs. And so now Ishmael is laughing at Isaac. And it ticks Sarah off. The name, uh, or the word for laughing here, actually has a stronger connotation of the word mocking. She's making fun of the kid. She's making fun of the kid. And Sarah's not going to have it. Can you blame Ishmael? Again, we see a thread. Hagar, Ishmael, both victimized. Can you blame them? Here's the child of promise. The child that was to come, that we've waited for. We tried with you, Ishmael, but this is the one we've been waited for. This is the one who everything and all of God's promises are toward with respect to Israel. To the land of Canaan. The shame. The shame that he must have felt and the shame that Hagar must have felt. So here's Sarah again. So she says to Abraham, verse 10, cast out this slave woman with her son. For the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. He loved Ishmael, it's his son. But God said to Abraham, do not be displeased because of of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. here again, a promise. I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. Abraham, in obedience to God, has effectively disowned his own son. Disowned. Rejection. Rejection. Why? Why would God ask this? In the first segment, God asks Hagar to go back to the source of her abuse. And this knowing this would happen. In the second episode, God is now saying, disown your child and send them off. He put, You'll read, he puts water on their backs and gone. Why? I don't know, it's hard. I don't know. I do know that God is good and God has a purpose and so here's some of the thoughts that I had. One, the line of Christ would have to come through a particular person. God knew Jesus and who Jesus would be. And Jesus was not through Ishmael, it was through Isaac. So it had to be through Isaac. Jesus was not accident, was not incidental. So God knew who the Christ would come through. God loves to work through miracles in order to dispel any notion that it was not him who did it. God is going to work a miracle through a child that was born when Abraham was 100 years old. Let there be no mistake, God is doing this. God is doing this. And third, God had a better plan for Ishmael going than staying. That's a hard statement. When we are in our rejection, when we have been sent away by somebody and we think everything we wanted and needed, I don't know, maybe it's a divorce or a breakup or a friend or some family issue and you're sent to effectively disowned and sent away, know that God has something for you better there than here. Wow. Wow. How could it get any better or worse than this? This is everything I thought I wanted. This is everything I think I need. Yet you want me to believe that it'll be better over there? I heard someone the other day in a discussion with me testify about how they were struggling in their marriage and someone asked them, if I told you today that your marriage could be infinitely better in a year, would you believe me? They said, nope. (laughs) Nope. But they were right. They were right because it was better going than staying. 14, so Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. She ain't got nobody. It's not even like he sends her to another tribe. It's not even like he sends her, it's pack your bags, out the door. Hagar finds herself again in the wilderness. Again, being rejected. This theme of rejection. By the way, Hagar in Hebrew means forsaken one. That's why a name is so powerful. It means something. Now it's more than just Hagar who has been rejected, but her dear son is well. Look at verse 15. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. She went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot, figure 100 yards. For she said, let me not look upon the death of the child. They're out there. They're out there. You know, without water, three days. And they're wandering. And she sat opposite him. She lifted up her voice and wept. Hagar's in dire straits. They're on the edge of death because the rejection that they have felt at the hands of Abraham and Sarah, completely at her end. Nothing else she can do. The child that has been the only consolation in her hard life is on the verge of death. She dare not look upon it. His death, not the child. And listen to what happens, verse 17. And God... Heard the voice of the boy. I find that so interesting. I don't know what that means. Heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? (laughs) Oh, I don't know. My tongue is stuck to the roof of my mouth and I'm about to die. Fear not. Fear not. For God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. God heard the voice of the boy. Remember Ishmael and his rejection too. Ishmael's name means he hears. God hears. Now we can say that God has made a promise to Abraham about Ishmael and that is why God heard the voice of the boy. That could be true, but I think there's more. I like to think that While Hagar was weeping, Ishmael was praying. God heard the voice of the boy. God hears your prayers. When you're in the wilderness of rejection, know that God hears your prayers. Another way of saying this is God knows your needs and is standing ready to answer them. He hears your prayers for acceptance in the wilderness of that sting of rejection. He does it by acceptance in him. First, he tells you that you are accepted in him because of what Christ has done on your behalf, an adopted child who will never be cast out, ever. And that has to come first. It's upon that basis that we live the rest of our lives. Otherwise, we're seeking love in all the wrong places. We're seeking to find acceptance in people who can never give it to us. We're seeking to find joy and peace with people and circumstances that always will fail because they're finite and they're broken. If we don't find our acceptance in him because of Christ first, everything else we're seeking acceptance in becomes an idol and pulls us away from God. But once we recognize that, once we have found acceptance by the Father through Christ, it is then he begins to work in our lives and in the lives of the people around us where we find the acceptance in people that we've been looking for, where we find a place for healing from the rejections that we felt in our lives. When we've been rejected, it can seem so lonely. I mean, it almost, by definition, It means to be cast out and sent away. For better or for worse, this church is God's answer to our human rejection. Each other. With all of the little irritations, (laughs) with all of the, I can't believe she said that, with all of the, You could fill in a thousand things here because it's a broken church full of broken people, but this is God's answer. This is part of God's solution. That when we are accepted by him and born into the family of God, this is our living room. So we need to live up to it. We need to live up to it. God hears your prayers and knows your need for the power to go on. Hagar was given water twice. Middle of the wilderness, provided for. When she was at the point of languishing, God provided. There have been times in my life when I was rejected and I didn't know if I had the energy to go on. I literally wanted to die. I was literally going to make it happen. I know this is the testimony of some of you here as well. And some of you may be hurting right now. Do not leave this place without telling somebody. Look to Christ as your source of acceptance in the face of your rejection and lean on him. And when we do, the other things fall into place. Sometimes God answers to your needs, look nothing like what you thought it would be. But submit to God's will. Seek your good in him and watch how he provides. Psalm 18, six says, in my distress, I called upon the Lord to my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. God hears our prayers, so we have to pray. God promises I will hear them, so we must pray. When rejected, we can have, When rejected, we can have some sinful responses. We forget to pray, don't we? We don't wanna pray, we wanna do other things. We wanna seek revenge. Oh, they reje- I'm going to reject them. I'm going to get them. We grow despondent and turn inward, feel the depression of what it feels like of being rejected without having an answer. Or we harbor resentment. That person's dead to me. Or we believe the lie that we are worthless and unlovable. This lie is so dangerous. For it prevents us from receiving the acceptance and the love that God wants to give us in himself and with others. Sometimes we can come into the church and see all of the differences. They're that, they're that, they're that, instead of seeing they're the same as me. That lie becomes the filter through which we judge others' actions and motives towards us. We presume we know how they think of us before we have any evidence to back it up or we take the evidence and we twist it. This was my struggle. After that day on the walk to the gym, whenever and after I was separated, whenever I was around somebody who was in the military or active duty or uniform, the wound was getting ripped open. Ripped. I saw someone serving honorably and I saw me discharged other than honorable. Not honorable. Other than honorable. I found ways to find distinctions. No matter how I had served, I looked to them and say, they're better than me. Even until recently. Of course, I turned to Christ and say, Jesus, you're the source of my acceptance. You're the reason that I'm accepted. And you're the only one that matters. But let's be honest, that wound does not just evaporate. God has to touch that place. We seek our comfort and our consolation from the one who will never reject you. Because you've been accepted in Christ, you'll never be rejected by the one who loves you. So trust him for your every need. Verse 18, up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand for I will make him into a great nation. He responds to his first promise. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well. Sometimes God provision for us is right in front of us. <laughs> it's like right there. It's like, hey, you're feeling rejected. Maybe you should look to God. Hey, you're feeling rejection. Maybe you should lean into the church. You don't have a boyfriend. Maybe you should lean into family. You don't have a wife. Maybe you should lean into, you don't have friends. Maybe you should go out and find them. like, there's like things right in front of us that God places. God opened her eyes to see it. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy and he grew up he lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran. So Now they stay in the wilderness. They're like, I'm good here. This is, I'm good. I'm used to it. I'm accustomed to it. And his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Third point, God knows your future. God knows the plans that he has for you. The promises given to Hagar regarding Ishmael were fulfilled exactly the way God had promised them. There are several important reasons and things we need to understand. One, God knows everything. God is omniscient. God makes a promise. We can't say, oh, but you don't know my situation. No, God knows your situation. God knows your future. God is faithful. When he makes a promise, he will not turn back. He will not change it. You can take it to the bank and God is good. He will not withhold something he's promised you before. It is the best time for you to have it, to have it. When we feel the sting of rejection, we have confidence that God has something better for us. No, I don't feel it now, but I know God will give it to me later and we walk in that truth. That God will honor his word because God loves me, God is good, and God is faithful. When Hagar was told to go back to Sarah, she could have disobeyed. Her disobedience likely would have affected the realized promise made to her by God regarding Ishmael. Certainly would have delayed it. A large part of dealing with the pain of this world, whether it be rejection or something else, is looking to God and trusting him that he sees your hurt and hears your prayers. The faster we go to that place, the better. It's part of what it means to be walking in the Lord, to being made more Christ-like. As soon as something happens, run to God. Run to God. I can't promise you, you'll never feel rejection again. Like I said, if we're living our Christian life, it's almost certain. But look to God and trust in him to give you the meaning and hope in those circumstances. There's a reason you're there. And then share that testimony with others who are in the wilderness as well. It'll motivate them to look to God in their own times of rejection. I'll finish with this. Many of you asked how it was in California this weekend, Um, Saturday, last weekend. I participated in a retirement ceremony for um, a young man who came to my unit. When he was 18, I was 23. And I took him and just made him mine. (laughs) I just said, you're mine. And uh, I was in the field of medicine and I always encouraged my, myself and my guys to, it sounds so pompous now, but be able to prove the doctor wrong. No better than the doctor. Have the answer when you go. All you need is a signature. If the doctor has to ask you a question, it means you've not done enough leg work. And that doctor should so trust your ability that he knows you've done the parts you need to do. I did a lot of diagnosing, diagnostician. That was sort of what I did in the military. And so I pushed this young man hard, okay? So he calls me. I've not spoken to him in 20 years. Hey, will you give the invocation and the benediction at my retirement ceremony? Yes. Right away, I said yes. I go to LA with my friend. I'm driving to San Diego in LA traffic, wondering why did I say yes? Why am I doing this? There's a hundred pastors and chaplains in in Southern California, thousands. Why am I doing this? So I go there. I'm in San Diego. I see where I lived. I see the house that Calvin was born in. I'm starting to get these really like nostalgic feelings about my time in the military and it's hurting. It's not feeling good. I thought it would feel good when I got there. It was hurting. So I go to the retirement ceremony. I'm surrounded by people, active duty in uniform. Remember the wound? It's getting ripped open. I see that guy and I'm thinking, oh, he's better than me that guy, oh, he served honorably. Oh, look at all the medals on his chest. He's, he's way better than me. And I'm feeling like, do they know who I am? I'm the guy who got kicked out. I feel like I was wearing a costume do they, In a mask. Do they know who's behind the mask? Because the rejection was just throbbing through me so badly. So then my friend tells me, I said, so what are the sort of order of things? He says, well, there's four chairs on the stage. You're that chair up there. I said, I'm on stage. What do you mean I'm on stage? Normally, I'm like, get me on stage, right? What do you mean I'm on stage? He goes, yeah, you're up there with me. The officer in charge, the main speaker, me, and you. Okay, so now I get to sit up on stage and look at 250 people in uniform looking at me. The officer in charge gets up and says, So glad you're here. Just want some nice words about Senior Chief Berger. He is uh, perhaps one of the finest corpsmen I've ever met. He's actually an independent duty corpsman, like I was, for those of you who know. And he is, par excellence, the best enlisted diagnostician I know. He is the, he loves medicine. He loves his patients. He's just so amazing. The main speaker gets up, says all of the same thing about his sort of career has been marked by his patient care and his love for medicine. So he gets up, Berger gets up and says, thank you all for the very nice words that you have shared. I really do appreciate it. I want you to know that that everything I know, my whole career, is because of this man here, and points to me. So now everyone is looking at me. (laughs) He says, when I came to the Navy, and I went into medicine, I didn't know what to do. And this man took me under his wing and just forced me, pushed me, research, dig more, know more, be more, push. I just like, let me show you, do it. And it was just a lot of investment in coaching with this young man. He said, every patient I've seen since then has been through Petty Officer Waters' eyes. And in the moment, I'm sitting there and he's saying these things and everyone's looking at me and I'm thinking to myself and not even thinking, God is speaking to me very clearly saying, this is for you. This is for you. It, it felt so much like God was just healing that wound right in that moment, right before everybody. I couldn't believe it. So I'm sitting there you know, and I'm starting to cry. The guy next to me, he's like, don't you cry. There's no crying in the Navy. But I can't help it. I've carried this, they don't know what I've carried. So we get down after the service, after the ceremony, <clears throat> and he walks up, he hugs me, he says, I want you to know everything I said is true. It, everything, you changed my life, the, the trajectory of my career, how I did medicine, everything, it, was, don't, I, don't, it doesn't matter, he points to everyone, he says, it doesn't matter what any of they think, anything about their honorable service, you were honorable in my life. You mattered in my life. And it was just like, God did something. God just did something. It was just like, it was amazing. So I walk away. I'm actually going outside to call Elaine, you know, because I want to like cry for real, for real. So I call, or I'm on my way to walk to Elaine, and a woman comes up to me, and she says, "I don't know if I've ever even heard about you. You know, I don't think he's even mentioned you. You know, tell me, who are you?" And I tell him, tell her, I said, "I was the independent duty corpsman on the USS Stout. You know, I was a senior medical department representative." And I'm telling her all these things, and she goes, "So how'd you become a pastor?" (laughs) That's the wrong question to ask me. And in that moment, I had this silence, this thought, where it felt like Jesus was saying, I just healed your thing, now act like it. So I said, let me tell you a story. And I told her the whole thing. And now she's crying. And she says, that's just amazing. You have to tell it. And I told her about the rejection piece, the everything, everything. And I told her what had just happened on stage. She's like, you gotta tell that story you have to tell that story to people. People need to hear that story. They need to know what the importance of coaching in people's lives and the importance of loving each other and taking people under your wing. They, they have to know. They have to know. And she goes, oh, and by the way, I was also the executive officer at Great Lakes Naval Station. Like, where's your church? You know, so I don't know. Who knows what God's going to do? Maybe all of that was just to heal me and give one testimony to that woman, to Jesus Christ but I have no idea. I know if I stayed in that place of rejection that God could not take me out of that wilderness, that God could not use me later on. I know God knew my future. He knew that Saturday would be a momentous day in my life. He also knew that all of those years of that wound, of that sting, needed to sting to get me to that place where there was nothing I could do, take me so far into the wilderness to where he could touch me. Those of you who are struggling in this regard, whether it's rejection or something else in your life, God has you where you are for a reason. God is bringing you to a place to get you alone. God wants to do something in your life. It might not be today. It might be 20 years from now. But it's going to happen because God promises it. He's good, he's faithful, and he loves you. Hold out. Look to him. Run to him and know that he sees your hurt, that he hears your prayers, and that he knows your future. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we just stand in awe, Lord, of who you are and what you do in our lives. and We confess, Lord, that we see things way too shallowly. We see things way too much in a self-absorbed way. We're we're minimizing you. We're only seeing our pain and we're believing lies about who we are. Things that are directly opposed as to who you say we are. We pray, Lord, that we would forever and constantly be seeking the truth in your word and through the testimony of your spirit to us. Help us, Lord, to hear your words, your comfort, and your consolation while we wait, Lord, for you to heal us. We thank you, Lord, that we've been called into your family, that we are now a child, and that you will never, ever reject us. And Lord, prepare us for the rejection that we know will come in this world As we walk the path of Christ, a path of suffering and a path of pain, we pray, Lord, that you would prepare us, that we might be good witnesses, giving testimony to your goodness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pastor Adam here. Well, I want to thank you for tuning in to Grace Bible Church, and I would love to hear what you thought of today's program or of ways that we can be praying for you and with you. So check us out on social media, at Elm. Also, if you would like to support our ministry, you can give securely at our website at www.gbclm.org. Now remember, God loves you, and so do we.